do that. Lord, uh, you can come on up, Steve. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence with us, and as we live this life of community together, we know that we rely on your words to us to help us um, follow you in a good way. So open our hearts as we've already sung to the word you're about to offer us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Hello. Is this on? Okay. I'm reading from, um, Matt, uh, sorry, I'm reading from Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. It's 971 uh, in the Pew Bibles. Sorry. Leaving the last place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from the demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for he keeps crying out after us. She answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her, and her daughter was healed from the very hour. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve. I'm going to be on this mic. Am I on? Oh, no. Hello. Yes, I can. JK. All right. This is good. Within, within boundaries, creativity flourishes. So I'm going to do a lot of vertical movement tonight. I'm going to hold in my horizontal movement. Good, good evening, church. It's good to be with you. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here. This is a hard interaction. Let's just, let's just say that right off the bat. Let's name that Jesus calling someone a dog is as harsh to our modern ears as it was intended to be as a racial slur back in ancient, ancient Palestine. It's almost, to ease, it's almost easy to miss in this story that a miracle is happening. But it is. And not just one, but two healings are happening. A deeper and wider healing is happening than the woman in the story even comes asking for. Tonight, I want to talk to you about two things. First, I want to kind of unpack together what's happening in this story. Dig below the surface of a harsh interaction and find a woman honored by Jesus for her faith and what that means. And second, I want to talk about the miracle of exorcism that happens. We're going to talk about supernatural evil and Jesus' overcoming of it. It's going to be a wild ride. Let's do this. Steve read for us, and it starts out with saying that Jesus travels to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He's taking a break, it appears, from the huge and intense ministry that he suddenly has. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been exercising all over the land that he's from, and crowds follow him wherever he goes. 
So he retires to this Gentile land, this land that's outside of his homeland. And Jewish people would consider most of the people from there to be unclean outsiders. And the woman who finds Jesus there, Matthew, the writer of this story, he takes care to name her the Canaanite woman. Now, this would have meant something to people hearing this back then. Because as a Canaanite, she now represents not only a non-Jewish people, not only an unclean people who don't know God, but in fact, an enemy, an ancient enemy. You go back to the Old Testament, there's literally millennia of animosity between Canaan and Israel. This is who's in our story. And her first words are so very, very important. The first thing she says is she cries out, Lord and Son of David. This unnamed foreign woman calls Jesus Lord, which means God. It's a recognition of his divinity. And she calls him Son of David, which means Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting for their Messiah for a long, long time. Different people had said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, and it had never been true. Jesus has said it. This time it's true. But not many people believe him yet. But this woman, she says, Lord, God, Son of David, Messiah. And then she asks for a miracle. She knows that he has the power to do it. She knows that he has the power to do it. And it's interesting. I just want to point out that it's actually like a pretty big deal that she knows this and she says this. There's not that many people in the story up until this point who have gotten it. Even John the Baptist, the one who came to declare the way for Jesus, Just a few chapters earlier, he sends someone to Jesus just to make sure. He sends one of his followers, and and the followers come to Jesus, and they say, John just wants to be sure you're the Messiah, right? He asks for clarification, and that's okay. Jesus gives it. But he had to ask. This woman comes, and she declares it. And her understanding, it doesn't come from special knowledge. It doesn't come because she's somehow in the know in a different way than other people. It comes from a revelation that God gave her. And how do we know this? We know this because Jesus says it when his disciple Peter has the same revelation. When? After the Canaanite woman does. We're in chapter 15, so we're going to have to go to chapter 16 to hear about this. This is afterwards, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, so his followers, the people who have been journeying with him closely, and he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? That's what he called himself, Son of Man. It's similar to Son of David. And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So clearly the people have no clue who he is, really. And then Jesus asks them, but what about you, disciples of mine? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, one of the disciples, answers, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. 
And Jesus replies to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Where does this revelation come from? It comes directly from God. A chapter earlier, the Canaanite woman has had this revelation also. So as soon as the Canaanite woman speaks, Jesus knows who he's dealing with. He knows by her words that she knows who he is. And this is, she's been given a great insight. But she's still limited in her understanding. And do you know how we know this? Because she comes asking for such a small thing. She's been given this wide revelation, and she comes asking for one small miracle. Heal my demon-possessed daughter. And the only way to get through the rest of this story is to be like the woman. To know that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah, the rescuer. He is God. He is not just a healer. He is the healer. He is good. To this incredible thing that she says, and to her desperate request, though, Jesus is silent. And I think he is silent in order to allow something hard to come to the surface. Because in his silence, the disciples show their hand. They're annoyed. Send her away. Her noise bothers us. Do something about this. Suddenly, their you-do-not-matter-because-you-are-not-one-of-us attitudes are on full display. And you know, when I was reading it, this, that hit me really hard. Because it made me think of the times where the voice of the marginalized has annoyed me. Someone has said, hey, but you're not thinking of this. And I'm just like, think about so many things. Can you just let me off the hook this one time? Or I think about when I hear people say, why do women keep harping on about sexism? It's not as bad as it used to be. Or, but I didn't colonize this land. Why is it my problem? Or, yeah, I'm sad for homeless people, but I just like wish they could panhandle in a different neighborhood. Or some version of just being tired with the voice of the marginalized. Isn't it amazing that in Jesus' pause, in his silence, suddenly systemic evil is front and center. Now Jesus replies to his disciples' annoyance with a statement about his mission. He says he was sent to a specific people, the lost sheep of Israel. That's who he's here for. And you know what? It's true. In Jesus' three years of earthly ministry and the time where he was, he was out and he was healing and preaching and teaching, in those short three years, it was almost exclusively to a very small region and a very small group of people who were the people he came from, who were Jewish like him. But while he started small, that was never the whole thing. That was the start. And over and over again, in that ministry that he started, 
he hints at and he foretells the much bigger thing. What he's doing in his interaction with the Canaanite woman is foretelling that. And actually, it isn't the first time that the disciples would have seen him minister outside of that scope because he healed a Roman centurion's daughter in front of them already, or servant in front of them already. Someone they would have considered an oppressor, an outsider in a different way, an outsider who had power over them. And Jesus healed, does a healing for that person. So they've already witnessed that actually there's a, there's a bigger story happening. And I think that Jesus says this, to the, says this about the Israelites to the disciples to see what they say. And you know what? They don't disagree with him. And he's kind of setting them up. Because they're about to learn again that it's not the whole picture. I assume the woman heard this interaction. Undeterred, she persists. Why? Why does she persist? Because she's had a revelation about who Jesus is. She kneels before him. In some translations, it says she worships him. You worship God. She's humble because she knows that this is God. She says, Lord, God, help me. And I wonder if she even knew then that Jesus was about to help her more than she could have imagined. What Jesus says next, I'll be honest, feels really risky to me. It's the move of a very wise teacher who's very sure that the, the student that they're working with already understands the truth on some level. And I've, I've often taught children and teenagers. Guys, I got to teach grade 11 creative writing. It was fantastic. And as a teacher, I understand what's happening here. Because when you see people, when you see your students start to circle a profound truth, you're really excited for them, but they're not yet. A really good thing to do is to offer them an opposing view, is to give them something to respond to so that they can begin to articulate the fullness of the truth that they're understanding. And I think this is what Jesus is doing here. He knows that the woman has had a revelation because of her words and her actions of worshiping him. And now, and now he's going to help her unfold that revelation in its fullness. And he does that by naming the systemic evil at play. And he, he does use a painful racial slur and a clever saying to bring the conversation about ancient ethnic animosity right to the surface. He's going to talk about the elephant in the room. And when Jesus said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, I think the implied thing that he's asking is, am I here to save one people, the Israelites, the children, or am I here to save all people, even the ones looked down on, the dogs? And the woman replies very wisely out of her revelation. 
If Jesus is who he says he is, and she knows that he is, she can give the following answer. Yes, Lord, you came for all of us. Even the so-called outsider will receive from you. In the text, it's written, Yes, it is, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. To be clear, that was my translation of (laughs) what that was. And she says crumbs. But my goodness, the crumbs of the kingdom of God are better than any banquet you could receive in the world. Because you know what? If you have a demon-possessed daughter, probably a lot of people feel bad for you. Maybe people bring you casseroles and say, I'm really sorry this is happening. Maybe they offer their thoughts. Maybe they say sending you light. And it's not going to do much. But then when you encounter the living God... And you know that he is who he says he is, and he has power over supernatural evil, and he can say, be healed in my name, because I'm Jesus, that it will be done. So when she says crumbs, she's expecting much more than anything the world could offer her. And she gets it. Her daughter is fully healed. And she receives something else. She is praised for something that not even Jesus' disciples have been able to get yet. Jesus says to her, you have great faith. This is a big deal. It's not some throwaway, placating comment. Jesus cares really deeply about people's faith. Read the preceding chapters in Matthew. He's gotten mad at people for not having faith. He's scolded people for not having faith. He's gotten frustrated because people don't get that he's telling them who he is. It's a very big deal that he says, woman of great faith. She's honored. Ooh, she is. Amen. And I wonder, too, if hearing him say to the woman, you have a great faith, was maybe hard for the disciples. Because just a chapter earlier, in in Matthew 14, Jesus has to say to Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Jesus is literally walking on water. His, His power, his divine supernatural power over natural order of things on display. He's walking on water. Peter sees him. Lord, tell me to come to you and I will. And and in that moment, Peter has great faith. And he steps out of the boat. And then he begins to sink because he he sees the water and he's like, wait, this can't be real. Jesus says, Jesus saves him. Jesus is so gracious. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? My divinity is on full display. Come on. Meanwhile, this woman comes and she believes that Jesus is who he says he is before he even performs a miracle for her. She is an honored person, and Jesus partners with her to help the disciples perceive something. And he restores her from being an outsider, an annoyance, a marginalized voice that isn't going to be addressed. He centers her. He restores her. He says, this is a voice worth listening to. This is a person who's had a revelation. Systemic evil was named, and then Jesus showed a better way than the way everyone was used to. He showed a kingdom way in which there aren't any outsiders. 
a really good story. And it makes me ask the question, who do we consider to be outsiders, church? Who is too different, too messy, too loud? Who have we been pitted against for so long that we're not even actively aware of the animosity? And are we acting like the disciples, wishing it would just go away? Deal with it, Jesus. Please. Jesus, take the wheel. Or are we taking Jesus' invitation into a different reality? One in which we can no longer be comfortable with insiders and outsiders, with things that are too loud and too messy, but actually that we're called to step right into and say, how do we restore God's kingdom in this brokenness? That's the invitation that Jesus is giving us. Let's say yes to that invitation. Healing number one, systemic evil, confronted, addressed, overcome by his power. And there's another evil that Jesus confronts here. In the last sentences, last words of the story. And her daughter was healed at that moment. You know, back in ancient Palestine, there's a whole second half to this sermon, so stay with me. We're going to get through this. Back in ancient Palestine, in fact, anywhere in the ancient world, it was normal to believe in spiritual forces of good and in spiritual forces of evil. And in fact, in most of the world today, that's still normal, to believe in non-human forces of good and evil. And yet, in I don't know, what we call like the West, the enlightened, rational, science-loving parts of our world, we've largely lost a sense of normalcy around the supernatural. And it's sad because then that makes us just as reluctant to believe in a miracle-working God as it makes us reluctant to acknowledge that supernatural evil is a part of the world we inhabit. And I think it's important to set the record straight on this, because if not, that last part of the story doesn't apply to us. Cool exorcism, right? But actually, actually it does apply to us. We're going to encounter supernatural evil in our world here in Toronto in the year of our Lord 2020. It's going to happen. And it's great because Jesus confronts and overcomes by his power that kind of evil too in this story. We're kind of used to talking about the systemic evil or the personal evil, like people's sin and the compounding of people's sin, right? That cause things like broken relationships, that cause things like people to feel abandoned, that cause homelessness and racism. But there's also the work of the devil and his powers and principalities that want to oppose the kingdom of God. That's a real thing. And it's not something to be afraid of. Jesus isn't afraid of it. We don't need to be afraid of it. But it's also something we can't be blind to. Because when we're blind to it, we're falling for one of the devil's oldest lies. And that's pretty much all he has, is he's just a boring liar. 
But those lies, when we believe them, man, they can mess up our whole lives. And he's trying to convince us there's nothing happening on a non-rationalized level that's evil. Nope, that's not a thing. But it is. And I'm going to share some stories tonight from my personal experience just to say, like, we can talk about this and we can confront it. And Jesus models to us how to confront it. And by confront, I mean overcome. Which stories should I tell? Okay. Um, growing up, Okay, I'm going to tell two stories. One is a story from when I was a baby, and so it's told to me secondhand. But I think it's, it's a good example of this. We, my older sister is 10 years older than me. I was less than a year old, and she had been left to babysit me. And she had put me in my crib, and then she began to feel very worried. And she sat in the room, and she looked around, and she thought, something is not right here. Everything on a rational level was right. I was safe. I was not sick. There was no crib safety issues. There was no one creeping into the house. But she said the longer she sat in that room, she began to realize that there was an evil presence and that she could almost see it in the corner of her eye. And so she scooped me out of her crib, And she lay in the middle of my parents' bed, and she began to sing songs of worship, declaring Jesus is who he is. And she said as she sang, the darkness and the heaviness and the fear and the evil began to dissipate. And that as she sang, and as she started to feel peace, she perceived in the corner of her eye, outside of her vision, an angelic presence. And then we fell asleep. And then my parents came home, and that was it. And I wish you guys knew my older sister. I wish you knew her so that you could understand that for her to say this is actually a pretty big leap. She's not, she's not like into stuff like that, you know? (laughs) She says it so matter-of-factly. This is a thing that happened. And the way that we overcame it, we declared the name of Jesus and his power. And then without fear or trauma, we moved on. And maybe there's some of you sitting here today that are thinking, I have felt that evil oppression that is beyond anything explicable. And I'm here to tell you, you're not crazy. That's a real thing, but you also don't have to be afraid. This isn't some like Halloween thing that we're like, what's going on? No, it's a real thing. And we say, that's evil. In Jesus' name, no. Because he has power, he has confidence, he heals. And we can overcome it too. I've also gotten to experience God's miracle-working power for good, right? The, without opposition from evil, but just his good miracle-working power. I've heard angels sing. It's a wild thing to say. It's a commit you to the (laughs) madhouse thing to say. But it's a thing. God's heavenly chorus singing endless praise to him. 
my dad would sing these worship songs to us at night to put us to bed late into the night. And once as a kid, I went to him and I said, Dad, do you sometimes hear another voice? And he looked at me and he squirmed. And he said, I do. Do you hear it? I said, yeah, what is it? I was like, I, I think it's the sound of, of heaven. I think it's the sound of God's voice and his angels praising him. And I said, okay. There are things that we don't have to try and rationalize and explain. We know where good comes from. It comes from God. And we know that there is evil, evil that we are responsible for, and that God in his goodness graces us to deal with and to address and seek restoration and forgiveness. But there is also evil that requires his supernatural power. And we don't have to be afraid. So as we're out here fighting systemic evil with works of reconciliation and learning from those on the margins and doing that good work that is bringing the kingdom of God, let's also be praying for miracles. Let's also be praying for God to break chains of supernatural oppression. Let's also be believing that he is sovereign over that evil and that we can say in Jesus' name, evil will be overcome in all of its forms. Amen? Now, I've preached long, so thank you for sticking with me. It's good. It's good to talk to you about these things. I'm just going to invite you as we go into our time of communion now. There's going to be prayer. There's going to be a prayer team right over here. And if any of these things have brought up something for you, don't be afraid. Come and receive prayer. All right. Have a good night, guys.